Parking in Bitterman Circle for June 29th, 2020. Hi, everybody. Strange to have another podcast in the pile. Today, we're going to be talking with uh, guitar player and guitar tech Bobby Schneck. Hope you enjoy it. Right now, I'm based out of Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, pretty hot down here today, but uh, I can't complain. Hey, well, here's a quick question that might be interesting. Andy. Did you study the arts when you were a kid? I mean, all of that getting shut down with budget crunches and all that. I mean, did you have art or music when you were in, in school, in grade school or high school? Well, I graduated in 1979. So um, at that time in the 70s, I guess you would, you know, that was my, all my formative school years were in the 70s. Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, we had music classes. We had art classes. Uh, I was more involved in the art classes, actually, mm-hmm. just getting into drawing and painting. Um, the music classes, they were kind of like a little bit more of a clicky thing as far as, you know, like it, it was, wasn't even called music. It was called band. And it generally involved, um, you know, the, uh, the rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, marching band type of thing and mm-hmm. reading notes on, on uh, paper and, uh, it all seemed very rigid to me, and so I really didn't take any interest in it, and I didn't do it. Um, although I, w- I get my house that I grew up in, my parents basically were my music school because they were both very musical people. My dad was a trumpet player and played guitar. That's mm-hmm. where I played guitar from, and um, lots and lots of jazz in the house, which I am eternally grateful for because it sort of gave me a bit of a a uh, how would you say it an ear for more sophisticated music at a very early age and i heard a lot of blues i heard a lot of great soul singing uh you know a lot of great jazz singers Ella fitzgerald sarah bond billy holiday there was a lot of that in the house and then uh, of course rock and roll caught on very early with me so mm-hmm. terry kath there's a blast from the past oh yeah my first guitar hero, believe it or not. Yeah, he was something. Amazing. I heard him before I heard Hendrix. Yeah. And uh, he still affects me today when I play. I still, you know, his tones and his uh, phrasing and just the fatness of it, you know, that really crept into everything I do on guitar. And, uh, yeah, he was a good good first hero to have. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and quite the story in the end, you know? Yeah, it uh, didn't end so well. Oh. But, uh, yeah, but a definite snapshot of the guy at his peak. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the first concert you attended? Do you remember that? Well, I had been to many jazz shows with my parents. Um, you know, Chuck Mangione, uh, Maynard Ferguson, uh you know, some other, you know, smaller jazz shows, big horn bands at the local country club that would host uh, 
shows. And my first rock show, real rock show, was Kiss uh-huh. at the Spectrum. Remember that load in and out? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh. Actually referred to as the rectum. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I remember that uh, very, very vividly. And I remember going, uh, there was this, uh, this girl that I used to hang around with. I think she was a grade below me in school. And um, she was a big music fan. And uh, she was as cute as a button. And uh, her mom and my mom were good friends. Well, the two moms were all fired up about going to this kiss show. Mm-hmm. And so they bought the tickets and I got to go with my friend Susie and we walked down onto the floor and the, uh, the moms stayed up high up with some of the, my little brother and some of the other little kids. And, uh, we got right down in the front and this show started. I was like, wow. And then about 10 minutes into it, I was like, these guitars sound awful. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like sandpaper on, 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 you know, uh, it just was just not good. It was, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was painful. And, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, my, my parents, uh, I'm grateful for this too. My parents had some of the biggest parties in our township. And uh, so at a very, very young age, I learned what bad drunk people looked like. And my parents were never that way. They were always really cool, um, as most of their friends. But I remember being very young a few times. And, well, that, that early, those early experiences uh, led me to deduce about 20 minutes into the show that the lead guitar player was pretty hammered. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of stumbling and just sloppy play. And I thought, man, I just, uh, I can't even get into this. And I... As the show went on, I kind of lost interest a little bit, you know. So it was a little bit of a disappointment. But I, I saw immediately following that, I wanted to go see more. I started going to a lot more shows. Uh, I saw your old bosses uh, twice in the round. Guess mm-hmm. who? Yeah. Yes. My favorite bass player, Chris Squire. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that was it. And then... Uh, you know, onwards and upwards, and you buy an electric guitar, and off you go. Yeah, that's a, it goes hand in hand. That question goes hand in hand with uh, one word, which is the uh, when was your sort of I got to do that moment, you know, when you kind of look up there and go, yeah, this is for me. I'm, uh, you know, throw it all out the window because that's where I'm going. Right. It, it didn't happen in high school. Um, I knew that I was – I had no idea that I would, or really much confidence at all that I would be able to ever develop into uh, the skill set that I would need to perform at that level. Um, Which is kind of, you know, mostly noodling around on my mom's acoustic guitar. And uh, my friend John Gifford was kind enough to leave his Ovation Viper at the house. Or was it the Breadwinner? Remember those really goofy Ovation electrics? Oh, yeah. The Breadwinner. And uh, with a pig nose amp, and so I would play on that, and it was great. And uh, uh, but when I when I was in my senior year of high school, I realized that college was not going to be the thing for me. And uh, I quite accidentally stumbled into an Air Force recruiter in high school, and he had the hook in my mouth in about 
30 minutes. And so I, I went ahead and went for it. I'm glad I did because I don't know what I would have done. But uh, when I was at my tech school in Illinois, I wandered into the Airmen's Club one night. And I'm coming down the hall and I hear this unbelievable guitar playing going, like loud too. And I walk around the corner, I go in the club, and there's this guy that's about in his boots, about six eight, you know, skinny as a rail, long black hair, flying V through a Marshall stack, and he was destroying the place. I mean, it was just like the most over-the-top thing I'd ever seen in my life. Playing Jeff Beck, and you know, and the, the hits of the day. But uh, and it was actually this gentleman, Slink Rand. And uh, that was my that was the crystal moment where I said, I am gonna go buy an electric guitar tomorrow. That was it. And I wasn't able to do that at the time. I just didn't have the money. So when I got to my permanent base in Grand Forks, uh, I got a few more checks come in. I put it away, and I went to Guitar City in Grand Forks and bought a Hamer Sunburst. That was my first electric. What was your first hard lesson about what was going on, what we do? I mean, sometimes we, you know, I actually, I think back to uh, – one of my earlier gigs and I had the person that I was working for actually say to me, one of the the musicians, Hey, know your place. And, and for me, that kind of was, that was a a defining moment as well. Changed my mindset completely. I mean, did you have anything like that happen to you? Not really. I did have an experience with a band I was out with. Actually, it was I remember this very well. It was 2008. And, uh, uh, you know, they had a, a number of radio hits, kind of like a college sort of uh, vibe. I don't really want to say the name of the band. Okay. Um, six of the guys in the band, including the lead singer, fantastic guys, really personable and kind and just great musicians uh the kind of guys that were grateful to walk on stage well i had the lead guitar player who was the 180 of that just kind of really not very pleasant and difficult for no good reason and one day uh the drummer and the bass player came in early for a sound check at an amphitheater and uh i think the bass player said hey grab a guitar let's play you know And, and so i'm playing along and said guitar player came in and, you know, laid into me basically mm-hmm. for jamming with his bandmates. And I went, okay, I won't do that again. That's fine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it didn't really bother me cause I was just, I considered the source and moved on from it, but right. that, that's kind of it. Um, it, it's been, I, you know, my, my career in this business has been, almost a even split actually more towards the guitar tech thing. Um, and which I'm very happy for, um, just, you know, that seems to definitely pay better, uh, as you know, because the supply and demand, you know, aspect of being a musician, there's 10,000 kids lined up around the block. that will do it for free. Yeah. Guys like you and me are in, you know, comparatively short supply. And so there's more money there for, to be made. But, um, I have had an instance uh, only really seriously in one band that I was in where it really rubbed somebody else in the band the wrong way that I was a crew guy, you know, 
right. you're not deserving. You know, it was like somehow some sort of issue with him. And uh, it sort of bugged me, but it didn't, you know, he, he was the same personality type as the guitar player I was just talking about previously. So it just doesn't bother me. Um, you know, it, it's, I found myself where, uh, you know, he's not a musician. He's a guitar tech or he's not a real guitar tech because he's a musician, you know? And, uh, yeah. so it, 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 which is odd, like to me, uh, in certain people's personality types, if you don't fit into the specific box all of the time, uh, it upsets the natural order of their universe. Yeah. And we see it in everyday life and all kinds of things, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hence the uh, the Karen syndrome, I guess, could sort of, you know, dip a toe into that pool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, like, I had a time where I had a, a band, the drummer was late for sound check, and they threw me up there on the riser, and then I did two or three songs. And, uh, you know, but I mean, it was like, I'm not even trying to emulate anything that this person did, especially considering he was another uh, Pennsylvanian uh, with funny glasses and, uh, and plays like he's from outer space. But uh, did you have a mentor? Did you have anybody that you kind of, you know, showed you the ropes and, and uh, got you started? Uh, guitar tech wise? Yes, please. That's easy. Yeah. That's the easiest question I'll ever answer in my life, and that is Mr. Adam Day. Mm. And uh, for those that may not know that name, I met Adam uh, in 1996 when he was guitar tech for Slash. Mm. Actually, before that, I think it was a couple of years before that, because Slash and Duff were fans of a band I was in in Hollywood. They used to come and sit in with us all the time. Sometimes Adam, I think, would come along and we had said hi. And then I got a gig playing with Slash in this sort of glorified cover band called the Blues Ball. And we actually toured with that band. And uh, we were in rehearsals for that. And they had hired a guitar tech for uh, myself and the bass player. And a uh, really nice guy. Um, uh, he you know, was part of that whole Guns family, whatnot. Um, but I just, you know, as far as getting, you know, digging really deep into the guitars... And, you know, the gear and stuff. I always just preferred to do that myself, but I didn't want to do it in front of him. Right. You know, I, you know because the guy was such a freaking champ, you know, he, he was a hard worker and, and really nice. So what I would do is I would stay late after rehearsals with Adam. And Adam would always stay for hours after rehearsal working on stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he'd see me swapping necks on guitars and shimming stuff and, and putting pickups in. And he's like... What, what are you doing here? You should just go home and let, you know, I said, well, I, I just love doing it. You know, I'm, I'm really into it. And he mentioned to me that he was getting, he was turning down tons of work, uh, studio work as a guitar tech with record producers. Mm -hmm. He said, would you be interested in doing something like that when we're not busy with this? And then I asked him, yeah, I, I didn't really know what it entailed. And he explained it to me. And then he told me what the pay was like. I said, all day. Sign me up. <laughs> uh -huh. and, and that's how I got my start. And my first guitar tech job was in a studio working with Jerry Finn on a super drag record, mm -hmm. uh, which was 
a really, really enjoyable experience. And it was actually at Sound City. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent probably a month in there with those guys, you know, Monday through Friday and barbecues on Friday. And Siobhan was running the office and Nick Rasculenis mm -hmm. uh, was uh, one of the runners. Yeah. And uh, it was an incredible time. And I really, I enjoyed it and I loved the money. And uh, Jerry really liked me. So he referred me to a producer named Rob Cavallo. And Rob hired me to work on uh, a session with the Goo Goo Dolls. It was for one song, and it was the song Iris from the City mm -hmm. of Angels soundtrack. And it became the most played song on rock radio for two years in a row. And that was a, it was such a great session. Um, and uh, it, it, it just it was really funny all the time. Like there was just a lot of. Uh, a lot of zingers and humor and, mm -hmm. you know, everybody was, you know, working together well and the band was really fun. And uh, so Rob kept the same team of four guys together for about two and a half, three years. My, it was him, myself, uh, Ken Allardyce was the engineer and mm -hmm. we had uh, Alan Sanderson as the assistant engineer. And the four of us just did one record after the other uh, for a good three years. Wow. And, uh, and that was good. And that led to a lot of other calls from other producers. I worked on a record with Brendan O'Brien, uh, an audio slave record. Mm -hmm. And I worked on a number of records with Rick Rubin, uh, which was cool. Uh, he always had great engineers that I learned a lot from. Um, you know, uh, I had the pleasure to work on a record with uh, the recently departed Rupert Hine. And he was, uh, he was just fantastic I, I he was a, a we need more people in the world like rupert hein let me just say that he's mm -hmm. just a very sort of witty and very intelligent guy very well spoken uh gracious great manners uh i, I really liked him a lot and then um i i remember one day something there was a, i think the band had gone and there were some of us around the studio and somebody i was working with said watch this and they, they got on a computer that was hooked to the internet and i remember this is back in the early 2000s and brought up a napster oh boy it said watch this found a song hit download and the song started downloading and it was like he's like i just downloaded the song for free we're all screwed oh yeah Oh yeah, music business is over. Wait, when this catches on, there will be no more records as we know them. And it did happen. I watched it happen in front of my face every single day. I saw um, the budgets start to disappear. My workload went down in the studio. Uh, my engineer buddies. I used to work with Joe Barisi quite a bit, and mm -hmm. you know he's taken a hit. They, they, everybody took a hit. And, uh, and then it just kind of, for the most part, eventually disappeared. Um, so I did very little studio work. It sort of just tapered off. And so I just started going on the road, you know, doing a lot more tours. And that's where it ended up. I can't even remember what the last studio guitar tech gig I did was. I think maybe it was Michelle and Diego Cello. That was one of the last ones. You know, Wendy Melvoin was on that one. Um, yeah. So I just started touring and uh, fell into it, enjoyed it, still do, miss it. That's 
you know, here we are. And now, now we're, now we're just waiting for the storm to pass before we can all get back to work again. So, oh yeah. I'm waiting for the all clear here. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, what did they give you that you still carry with you? I mean, what did these, these people that, uh, were part of your learning process. I mean, for me, I think uh, attitude and um, and and being very clear on your role are, are two things that are, are really important. Absolutely. Um, and uh, it goes into this next section of questions that I've got, which I think I ended up, when I wrote these questions about five years ago, uh, I was actually thinking of you when I, when I did those. Mike, I like to have some thoughts about the difference between musical texts and technical texts. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that it's amazing. To, it became amazing to me about meeting people who, who are really good guitar techs but couldn't play a note. And I just could never. I mean, it, it just seems it's a bizarre thing, but it 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 they they exist. You know, um, I you know then again you can turn around and. Uh, Guitar tech can do just about anything that the artist can do sometimes. Yeah. But uh, do you think that uh, do you think that um, for a particular client that it's necessary that they have someone who is is musical? I mean, I I personally think it's a very important thing when you're dealing with your client um, that you be able to speak to him in a language that they uh, he understands. I mean, I've you know I we've all had difficult people. I've had people that just didn't even know what to ask for. Um, you know, they're they're more interested in, in what when's the next chance to get to throw the thing against the wall. You know, um, but um, yeah, I mean, what's what are your thoughts about music uh, musical text versus technical texts? Yeah. Um... I think it's a huge plus if you're, you know, if you're able to, uh, if you have a, you know, a vocabulary on the instrument that you're maintaining for your artist. Mm -hmm. uh, it just makes the uh, communication process uh, in determining what the artist really needs and wants much faster. Mm -hmm. You're basically speaking the same language. And because some, sometimes we will use musicians and techs will use certain terms that can't be, uh, you know, found anywhere in uh, any sort of language, you know, lexicon. It's, you know, this, like this note, this one note's a little squanky. Mm -hmm. I, I got it. I'm on it. You know, squanky is, I, I think I know what that sounds like. Let me take it back to the bench. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it definitely speeds things up. Um, uh, you know, the, it depends on the artist too. There, there are artists out there that really don't care and don't care to know if you know how to play, and maybe they feel threatened by that for some reason. Right. Uh, and then there are other bands that just, they love, they really want their crew to play well. And, yeah. uh, and you know, Green Day was, a, was an example. They loved that the crew guys played because we could jam during the day and mm -hmm. we cut their sh their sound check time down significantly because you know aerosmith is another one everybody in the aerosmith crew is a really good musician mm -hmm. and um you know it's it's uh, and it that you know came in handy in 2009 when you know brad whitford was out for the summer and i, I had to play a number of shows and then when he came back, I went back to being his tech, and you know we were just all grateful that he was fine. But uh, John Douglas, drum tech for Aerosmith, he mm -hmm. did months of shows. Yeah, 
last year and killed it. He just absolutely killed it. Completely different sort of energy and feel than Joey. Mm -hmm. But man, it was good. It was really good. What do you bring your clients? Do you try to bring them transparency or influence? Do you, uh, you know, how can you tell what's best to do with them? I mean, uh, I, I describe this question as being, you know, there are times when, like, I know when I first met you, which is where we kind of uh, started our friendship was mm-hmm. like, what are you, you know, what are you listening to? Or, hey, check this out. Maybe this, you know, maybe this is something that would interest you. You know, oh, you really need to hear this guy play or something. Um, yeah. I, I think of it as like the difference between having like a Sherpa caddy kind of uh, tech as opposed to a pack mule, you know, you right. get a person who, who, uh, who is, is sort of in there. I mean, and, and we all know, I mean, I've done that where, you know, I'm, I made that mistake before where uh, before we got playing in a rehearsal or something, I played some, you know, some sort of impossible uh, music for somebody and they just totally got wrapped up in it. And, uh, you know, you know, person was looking for something a little more minimal and, you know, his head was just full of, uh, ideas. That's a feeling out process to me. Um, you know, at our level, Aaron, you know, this is when you come in to, uh, work with a new client in a touring situation. Uh, if we're very, fortunate uh, first of all hang on one sec you know what uh my next call got pushed back 20 minutes okay so i have extra time okay. um, uh you know hopefully you're, you're coming in uh in a rehearsal situation where you know you know everything's not on such a tight schedule and maybe you can have a chat and uh with, with your client and see uh you know just how people you sort of gel uh it's happened to me a number of times where you get together and they're just very friendly and jovial and, uh, you know, they want to talk about bands and other guitar players or, you know, and then other times people are harder to read, you know, and so you just, uh, you know, hopefully you've gotten uh, some information from the previous tech. Uh, you know, Elvis Costello was one of those. I, I did Elvis on and off for a few years, a couple of years, and... Um, and uh, Jeffo gave me a lot of uh, good information about what the rig was like. He sent me diagrams and pictures, and uh, the production manager had a lot of information for me. So, yeah, but, you know, Elvis at first was not, you know, one of these sort of, you know, it, there's no fart jokes with that guy. Gotcha. You know, very, very sort of, uh, you know, his, his sense of humor uh, wasn't always on call. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he was more of like, like, let's just get down to it and, you know, we'll rough around the edges. But in time, he did come around uh, and, and just start talking more about, you know, stuff. And I remember we had a van ride from, uh, we had done a festival the night before, Bluegrass Festival. Was that, I think it was Merle Fest. Mm-hmm. I think we did Merle Fest. And uh, it's up in the mountains and we had to take a two hour van ride to the airport. And I'm, stuck on a bench seat with Elvis next to me. And he talked the entire ride about the old days in England and uh, his friends uh, back there, Billy Bremner from Rockpile. He talked gotcha. about Billy, which was a huge thrill for me because Billy Bremner 
is the reason I picked my first guitar, the Hamer Sunburst, because Billy played one. And uh, I just remember listening to him talk and pinching myself, going, I can't even believe I'm sitting here with this brilliant artist who's just telling me all these great stories from back in the day, back in the 80s, his crazy days. And uh, those are just, you know, those are gifts. And uh, I've had a lot of those moments. I've had a lot of uh, really great experiences and relatively few bad ones, you know. Um, you know, sometimes you're working with somebody and maybe they're not taking care of themselves, you know, in, in the ways that you and I would now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that can be difficult. And um, I just remember, I remember that happening to me a couple times where, you know, things were getting a little wobbly, but I, I never took it personally. Uh, I felt more empathy for them because uh, they are not really themselves in that situation. Right. Uh, you know, I used to ask myself, what would I do under this pressure? Um, you know, we joke about it, you know. Oh, the whiny rock star! But it's a whole other—it's uh, a whole other world that people get stuck into, and it's—it's uh, it's not reality. And negative results in their behavior, and right. so you, you hope they overcome it. You know, like my my Aerosmith guys are all well past those days. Right. And uh, even though you know the vibe can be a little volatile from time to time, uh, I've found a way to to sort of. You know, if things are getting a little tense, uh, that the correct type of humor delivered in the right place usually, you know, <laughs> sort of pops the balloon and, you know, and then off we're laughing again. So, uh, yeah, it's a crazy life. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it's uh, one I miss very, very dearly at this point. Yeah, me too. Um, Tell me uh, one thing that most people, uh, including the ones you work with, wouldn't think of you. Oh, geez. Um, I don't know. Like, it, it, that's, that's tough. I, uh, I really, that's a very, you know, crazy question. Uh, not crazy. It's a wrong word. Um, I know that uh, because I've worked as a tech for them, mostly mostly for the last 15 years is the Aerosmith guys definitely appreciate me. They tell me a lot. Um, uh, I see Joe Perry a couple times a week because he just lives 20 minutes north of me. And because of COVID, I do a lot of their running and shopping and stuff like that. And, uh, and uh, you know, he's just, uh, he's beyond wonderful. I, I can't explain what a great guy he is and, He's very appreciative of the effort that I put forth and have in the past. And Steven's the same way, you know, he's always got kind words for me and uh, Tom and Brad, Joey. And, you know, uh, it's nice uh, because I do work hard and uh, they know that I'm there for them and I'll have their back when they need me. Um, Sometimes we don't, you know, I'm very lucky in that, you know, we as techs don't always find ourselves in those situations. And so, you know, maybe you're just fighting to get through the day without anything blowing up or, you know, any sort of uh, drama. Mm-hmm. Or, and, you know, and then there's other tours where the last people that we want to see or have a conversation with are the band members. Um, most of the, uh, and in that case, well, the 
point the question sort of moot because why would you even care? Right. Thought of you. So, um, uh, but you know, I would the last, you know, when if, if I develop a a closeness with an artist, you know, our professional relationship is going really well. I think what I try to keep in front is that, uh, you know, the, the last thing I would ever want to do is disappoint them. Right. And I think that's really good to keep in front and like, you know, I don't want to disappoint this person. They're taking care of me. I'm taking care of them, but they're driving the bus and, uh, they're in charge and, uh, I'm going to do things their way. I'm going to give them what they want every time. And, you know, and then you just, you know, hope for the best. Mm -hmm. What's, uh, one thing that you've, uh, that you've done, like an event, a song, a story that's widely known, but that you were a part of, not that that they knew that you were a part of it, but that, uh, you had something to do with, well, have you done something that you really, uh, you really got into that you were part of that most people would say just didn't have any idea that you had anything to do with. I mean, you, I mean, obviously being in the studio uh, a lot, you yeah. probably have been part of uh, things along those lines. But uh, I mean, I, I find it remarkable uh, that you were on a tear right there for a couple of years where it seemed like you always ended up getting a guitar in your hand by the end of the, the tour, uh, playing with everybody uh, for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. Was, I don't know. A lot of people, uh, it, I don't really ever bring it up much, but, uh, you know, people ask me, you know, I just moved down here to Siesta Key, Florida back in September, and I was sort of slow to get into the local scene down here, the, even though I, I knew a lot of people because... I had a bad leg injury, and so I was recovering from that. So, um, you know, a lot of people knew about the Aerosmith thing and the Slash gig I did for a couple of years, and uh, and and they asked like, who 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 else did you play with? And uh, when I mentioned Green Day, like their jaws dropped. Which, you know, look at looking at me now, uh, you know, it does not compute. But I was you know, hired on as a guitar tech with those guys. And uh, uh, they had a kid that they had on the tour was making a salary and taking up a hotel room and a PD uh, that was playing two to three songs a night. And then Billy heard me goofing around on his guitar one day. Well, the next thing they know, they sent the kid home and just had me do it. And, right. uh, and then Jason White had to leave the tour for 10 shows, who's been their second guitar player forever. And, mm -hmm. uh, he left for 10 shows. He had a family emergency. And so I ended up playing 10 full shows with Green Day, which was great. They're really, really fun. Um, oh, I bet. And uh, except that, <laughs> like, the song will start at a certain, uh, you know, at, at 120 BPM. And then by the end of the song, you're at 135. <laughs> but it's natural for them. And then uh, Weezer, too. People are like, Weezer? how did that happen? You know, and it's like, well, how long do you have, you know, cause I was with them for five and a half years on and on. And that's where well, I met you. That's right. That's yeah. where we, which was, it, I can't believe it's been about 18 years now. That Since was an unusual time of that band. I think it was 2002 or three. 2002. 2002. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not all was well at that time. Yeah. Oh, heck no. 
things were really, really strange. And um, so you came in uh, when the snark level and the morale was maybe, and the crew was maybe a little off. Um, I remember Joe Beebe being there. I remember uh, Craig Overbay. And between the gang of us, uh, you know, we used humor as our weapon against negativity. Uh, things event eventually, I stuck with that band for until the middle of 2005. And by the time I left, which is, that was when I got my foot in the door, no, 2006, when I got my foot in the door with Aerosmith. Mm -hmm. I had to go leave and do that because that was my dream gig and it turned out to be great. Uh, but uh, they were all extremely pleasant to deal with. It was a very even situation, very calm. Uh, it was easy, you know, and, uh, but I just felt like I had to take the next step. So. Well, I'll tell you, it was funny because uh, I think when I actually showed up there, Pops was still doing guitars, and I think you guys were going back and forth. You know, once he hit the wall, he'd call you and say, I can't, I, I don't want to do this anymore, and that's when we ended up meeting. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of in people coming and going around that time. I, I actually remember the city I met you in. It was Salt Lake City, I think, mm -hmm. in the yep. hotel lobby. Yep. Yep. First first show I did with them actually was in uh, Portugal, I think. And it was, oh. yeah, we were, uh, so anyways, I mean, that that really sort of began our friendship and uh, and what we, uh, have, I mean, a lot of people who have, I mean, I've worked for larger bands with larger crews or, but there we were, just two guys taking care of the whole band. And, uh, you know, that's where I learned uh, speed tuning. <laughs> From, oh, yeah. from you having to do, uh, you know, two guitars on every song in under three minutes and, and have it ready for the next the next right. tuning or the next or the next song, whatever it might be. Or have, or in the case of uh, Rivers, what kind of uh, me method he had come up with for the set list where you know, he did. OK, there's uh, two blue, two green. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, or, he was all over, you know, all over the place as far as uh, how he was building a set. And uh, yeah. he was always sort of reaching for something there. And uh, so was, E, E flat, E, E flat. Right. Yeah. I was doing two and two. It was crazy. Um, what would you say your proudest moment been prof professionally or personally? If you've got something that's uh, completely outside of your wheelhouse, I mean, meaning just your regular life, that 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 that's what I'm asking as well. Uh, I would have to say, you know, on the grand scale of things, it's just, uh, you know, all the, you know, my times with Aerosmith and being becoming a part of that family. Uh, it, it's almost like a, a Boston Mafia kind of thing. It's like a family. And, you know, once you're in, you're in. And um uh, it, I just feel, you know, they were my favorite rock band when I was 11 years old, heard the first record and it blew my mind. I had bought every record, learned how to play off them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that, that's, you know, that feels really good. Um, and I still talk to some of the guys. I talk to Tom a lot and Joe is up the street and, you know, and, uh, I think that for me is, you know, that, that takes the cake. I think one of the, uh, is that you? Don't worry about that. Go ahead. 
I probably got a log on in seven minutes. No problem. Well, let's let's ask some other questions then. Yeah. Let's see what we get here. What kind of person does it take to get the constant movement that we go through uh, on the road? I mean, what kind of what kind of legs do you got to have to uh, to survive the constant movement of touring? I don't know if I can accurately answer that because I really just don't know any other way. Um, I do know plenty of people that just, you know, uh, they have no desire to lead a life like that. And I don't completely understand that because I'm just so used to going from place to place. I mean, ever since I left home after high school, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I stayed in St. Louis after I got out of the military I lived there for four years, and but we were still our bands were that I was in were still bopping around a couple states here and there, and there was always something planned and in the works. And then the move to LA was, you know, the beginning of a whole bunch of touring stuff, you know. And um, so I don't really know any other way of life. Uh, so I, I don't know. I guess I guess if the question, what type of person does it take? It's that's tough. Yeah. I mean, we've seen people that just, they think they want to try it and they go out and do it. Usually it's young, like lighting or audio people. And they, they just like, you can tell there's like, they struggle with the constant, you know, it's not really like any kind of like grounding effect that comes from moving, you know, around all the time. Whereas for me, I'm perfectly comfortable. You know, I get antsy staying in one place for too long. And um, so, uh, yeah, I, I can't answer the question, but that's kind of the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I understand. I understand what you're saying. I mean, I yeah. agree too because I don't, I don't know any other way. When I'm, when I'm yeah. stuck in one place for a period of time, I just, uh, you know, I got the wandering feet. You know, the first, the, obviously, the question is going to be the biggest question we've got right now, which is. What in the hell happened to our uh, industry? I mean, I mean, it just, I mean, one day in March, it just seemed like the whole thing came to a screeching halt. And, it was uh, 180 miles an hour into the wall. Right. You know, just instant shutdown. And it was completely and utterly shocking. Um, it took weeks for me to accept the total reality of the situation and really just, uh, I don't know if I even still do completely accept it. I'm trying to find the right words to describe this. Um, I guess the reality of it all, the unreality of it is what's, what's difficult to deal with. Um, the thought of, you know, starting next year with live concerts with people in their cars you know, on a football field just doesn't seem like anything that's doable at all. Um, and then, you know, there's the, you know, the whole medical aspect of it, you know, which I don't really want to go into because it, that really boils down to with who are you and what do you believe about it? Uh, or what don't you believe about it? And that's right. beyond the scope of this conversation. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been thrown into this, uh, you know, at 58 years old, this realization that I've got to figure out other ways to make money. Right. And, um, it, I'm moving ahead with that. 
and figuring it out. And, uh, you know, a lot more stuff that I'm going to be doing is going to be more online stuff. And uh, I've already signed on as a founding member with a new uh, internet uh, content distribution company uh, that I'll be talking about more. And, you know, my other social media, once everything gets rolling, we do our soft rollout and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be good. And it, you know, if I get, you know, it's one of those things, if you get enough followers and subscribers, it can turn into a nice revenue stream. Uh, even to the point where it's, you know, I don't need to go on the road anymore money. Because, you know, I could spend four or five hours a day creating content and then, you know, go to the beach or go play gigs, fix guitars at the shop. You know, so it's just it is what it is. And uh, hopefully it gets back to normal at some point. I'd say, you know, uh, you know, Aerosmith has dates booked next summer. Um, hopefully we'll get back to doing some other stuff before that. But I know all the guys in the band are just chomping at the bit. This was supposed to be the big year, the 50, 50 year anniversary. And yeah. It's all down. The window is closing. It is. It is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I really appreciate it. I love you, Bobby. I, I, I love you too, I'm Aaron. I that, you, uh, we, Please uh, give uh, Angela my best. I certainly will. And, uh, I, you know, I hope the rest of your day is a, is a good one. I mean, you got in the water, so it's got to be a good day, right? That's, that's my, where I find my peace in the morning. Mm -hmm. you know, it's two blocks away, and I swim as hard and fast as I can. And uh, it's, it just, it's a good start. So. You don't have to be the fastest swimmer, just faster than the other guy. Yeah, like Muddy Waters said, I think it was Muddy Waters said, you don't have to be the best one, just be a good one. There you go. <laughs> Bless you, sir. Take care, Bobby. It's good to right. see you. Thank you, Aaron. We'll talk All to you right. soon, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye.